Hey guys, Jeff here. I want to give a quick introduction to this week's episode, and that is going to be a fun one and a unique one and a little bit more out of the box one. If you don't know, me and Jeremy Pryor actually host another podcast, not this real life podcast with me and Alyssa, but another one called Five Minute Fatherhood that you can find anywhere podcasts are at. And that's actually a daily five minute podcast that we record tips and tricks and tools to equip you building your multi-generational family team on mission. And they're only five minutes, really quick, hopefully really insightful and helpful, five minutes a day, weekdays, Monday through Friday. We've been having a blast over there on that podcast. We also have a YouTube channel by the same name where all those podcasts are uploaded on video form. And a lot of you guys are loving it, but we wanted to make sure that you guys have heard about it or at least know something of what it's like. We wanted to give you a sample. So today, we kind of picked some of our favorites and some of the ones that the listeners over there on 5-Minute Fatherhood have said are their favorites. And we wanted to give you guys just a couple quick tips and sneak peeks. So again, make sure to follow 5-Minute Fatherhood. If you want to listen to more, head over to iTunes familyteams.com slash podcast or Spotify, Google Play, anywhere podcasts are at or our YouTube channel, 5-Minute Fatherhood to get listening or get watching. And here are a few of them that we hope encourage you and equip you as you build your multi-generational family team on mission. Love you guys. Hey guys, welcome to the 5-Minute Fatherhood Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jeff Bethke, along with my friend and mentor, Jeremy Pryor. Join us Monday through Friday as we chat about quick tips, skills, and ways to help equip you on your journey as a father to build your multi-generational family team on mission. Stay tuned. What's up, guys? Jeff and Jeremy here. Another day of 5-Minute Fatherhood. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Today's episode, we wanted to start with a quote, which you might be familiar with exactly where this quote comes from. And it says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. If you're familiar with the scriptures, you know that is actually what God the Father says over Jesus the Son during his baptism. You can find that a couple of different variations in the gospel accounts. And I think this is a really beautiful phrase and a really beautiful quote. Now, Jeremy, I want to hear your thoughts in a second. But one thing that I want to make note of, because um, I think I, I'm stoked to hear you talk about how this is actually what kids need when they do hard things, which is true. I also think that we have to be realized that Jesus heard this before he did anything. And I think that's something that's really also uh, mm. uh, insightful too, is that we have to be able to hold those both true of that when someone does something hard, that they, you're, that, and if they mess up or they fail, you're well-pleased in them. But also, they need to just hear from the beginning before they've done anything that you are well-pleased in them. And I think with our children, saying that to them, beating that drum over and over and over and over again be, before they've done anything crazy, anything extravagant, anything that the world says they need to do to gain their identity, you say, no, you already have an identity as a son, yeah. as a daughter, and in that, I am well-pleased over you and in you. And I think that's huge. But what, what would you add to that? Yeah. Yeah, you guys, it's important. So this, we can answer the question, what is the most important thing for the heart of your son to hear Mm. from his father? We know the answer to this question. The most important thing that a son can ever hear from his father is, you are my beloved son, and in you I am well pleased. God is the best father who's ever existed on the face of the earth, And this was what he said over his son, and he knows what is in the heart of a son, and this is what creates a son and father bond. It's when a father says to his son, you are the beloved, you are the object of my love, and I'm so pleased to be your father. Like that, that, That just completely puts to rest the angst that every single man feels in their life, and most men are really living a story 
where they are trying to medicate and deal with the damage mm-hmm. of the reality that they've never heard this from their father. Uh, and so we need to say this over our sons on a regular basis. You are my son. I love you. I'm so pleased with you. And I love what Jeff is saying. It's like, it's not something you have to earn. Um, it's something that that you are given by the nature of the fact that you're my son. And, and so as you embrace your fatherhood, how you extend the strength of that fatherhood over your sons is that you say to them in a way that they, their heart can hear, uh, that, that you love them, that they're the beloved, which means you're the object of my love, and I am pleased with you. You know, and it's interesting, I, I heard one, you know, this question, like Jeff, you were describing, what was going on during this baptism that sort of created this eruption of, of sort of affection between the father and the son? And uh, one of the things that was happening, and this was this is a this is a theory, but I, I like this theory. It's interesting to think about, is that Jesus was being baptized, which is kind of weird because Jesus was God, the Son of God, and he was submitting to the prophetic order of John the Baptist. Right, John the Baptist was baptizing people, and Jesus gets down there and c- comes to John. John's like, hey, hey, whoa, 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 like I should be baptized by you. You're the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, Jesus says, I I have to do this for all righteousness to be fulfilled. And so John submits to the process of being baptized, and maybe the humility of Jesus is what created this eruption from the Father. Um, his his decision to being in very nature God, humble himself, become a man, and be willing to submit to another man, John the Baptist, and his ministry. I, I don't know all that. Obviously, it goes in to the dynamic between. Uh, the Father and the Son, and, and how the Godhead works. It's a beautiful mystery to ponder, uh, but I think something is going on, and I think that that I love it when I see a father watch his son and just say, that's my boy. <laughs> I'm so proud totally. of you. That's my son. You know, Do you see my son? Do you see what my son is doing? And I feel like the father at some level was saying, look at my son. Like, Look what he's yeah. doing. Uh, I think he was just so overwhelmed with passion for his son and love for his son that the heavens ripped open and you know, G- yeah. uh, the father just declares his love. And I think that's just a beautiful picture and model for us as dads. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the 5-Minute Fatherhood Podcast. This is Jeff and Jeremy. Today, we have a serious topic and a Q&A and a question from you guys, and that is, describe one time you felt like you failed as a father. Jeremy, I'd love to hear you go first on this one. Yeah, Mainly I'm just sure so I don't would. have to be vulnerable first. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll go first. Okay. So it's so important, you guys, that nobody ever uh, listens to Jeff and I or th- and thinks that we think we're perfect fathers, um, mm. that we got it all figured out. Um, man, so much of I feel like why I can communicate um, a lot about fatherhood is because I've done a lot of failing, a lot of trial and error, mm. um, and it doesn't come intuitively to me. I've met some amazing dads, and I'm just like, how do you do it? Um, but for me, it doesn't come naturally. There's a lot of elements of fatherhood that have been very hard for me to figure out, uh, and <clears throat> and so they represent times where I just I really felt like I was dropping the ball big time. Mm-hmm. Um, just to give you guys one concrete example, um, my son Jackson, he was probably around 10 or 11 years old. And, um, you know, we were really like drifting uh, at a heart level. Like I really wasn't connecting with him. And I thought I was fine. Like he's, you know, he's not doing too badly. Um, but but there was a lot of drifting going on. And just what happened was I actually had a, a mentor stay in my house for a couple of days. And he had the, uh, the courage and... Um, 
and he cared enough about me to to tell me the truth. And he just said, "Hey, Jeremy, just so you know, I don't I don't think your heart's very connected with your son. I think he's drifting from mm. your heart." And I was like, "What? You know, like yeah. really? You've been in my house for two days?" And um, but I really like was like taken aback, like, "Whoa, maybe that's happening. Maybe he's right." And um, and so I was like, I sort of took him at his word. I took Jackson out for like a, a long conversation. I just I sort of sat him down. And I said, "How are we doing, Jackson? How are you feeling about me? How are you, how is how is your heart?" And man, the floodgates opened up. Like my, wow. this guy was a hundred percent right. I was I was we, we were really drifting apart. I, I couldn't sense it. Again, I'm really dense in a lot of these areas. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> and so I needed somebody to really tell me, like, hey, you're dropping the ball here, and you need to engage more. And, man, it's so rare. Like, I just I think about that moment, and I think about how few dads ever have somebody to sort of see the inside of how they're doing, let alone having that person to have the courage to say something about it. Uh, but that really saved... Uh, I think that season of my relationship with my son, I don't know what else maybe it saved, but it was really significant. And from that point forward, I became a lot more vigilant about, oh, this is just a natural failure that I tend to struggle with as a dad. I tend to just really over assume things are okay at the heart level. And if I'm and, I, and that things can can really drift a lot faster than I than I think, and that I have to be a lot more intentional. Uh, than than I would naturally be to really stay close to my kids' hearts and and so that was a I feel like a a major sort of failure season of my fatherhood that uh, that really I've I've been trying to figure out how to overcome and continue to struggle with but but I am working on so you have any uh, you want to now share Jeff you feel like you ready yet <laughs> <laughs> yeah now that now that you shared first no I first of all I think man thanks for sharing I think yeah that's such an incredible lesson to dads who are listening of um what a gift it can actually be for an external loving kind of uh, voice or just like perspective. Like people can see things differently when they're, when they're kind of coming from a fresh perspective, right? That's true of anything in life where if you're just doing the same old thing every single day, then I think, yeah, a lot of us, we start to miss the little gaps that are, you know, the kind of little, little holes in the boat where water's starting to flood in. But uh, someone who's just in the boat for the first day can usually see them a little faster. And so I think, man, what a, amazing thing that you welcomed that. And I think so many dads, we can be encouraged to welcome that as well. Um, yeah, for me, I, I when's last, uh, describe one time you felt like you failed. I'd say yesterday. Um, but yeah, no, I think, um, bigger ones I think of as, yeah, I definitely was one of those dads and this is actually a mayor, a husband, dad thing that I failed at. Uh, first child, man, when Kinsley was born, I think one of the, the, it was a trial by fire. And I just had this weird, I was very much the dad that, uh, believed like, Hey, I might, cause I'm a divide and conquer type of, type of person. I give me a to-do list and I will just do my thing and you do your thing and we'll just meet up at the end. And that was really bad for a marriage and really bad for first parenting. And what I mean by that is, uh, basically when Kinsley came, I just was like, Hey, I need to work. I need to do my thing. But I just, well, while Alyssa was over here sinking and not sure, you know, being a new parent as well. Um, but it got worse because I was kind of emoting or kind of giving the perspective of like, Oh, like I'm doing, I'm keeping up my end of the bargain. Like I'm keeping my, like, what are you doing over here? Right. Rather than it's clear now after a couple kids, I've realized, man, like that is at to some level, when you have a new kid, a lot of stuff goes out the window and it's just like, where, who needs the help? What needs to happen? Fill the gaps, take it by the reins, etc. And I just failed at that miserably, man, to the detriment of, um, not even really bonding that well with Kinsley early on because I wasn't even really as, mm active and present in those first couple of months of wanting to just hang out with her and do nothing, but then also to the detriment of our marriage. 
in regards to just, man, yes, certainly not feeling, uh, not loving and serving my wife and her needs and actually kind of gauging her heart of what would do that. It was rather like, Hey, I'm doing my, my thing and come on, like, are you killing me over here? Not keeping up your end of the bargain. So mm. guys, I would definitely say be mindful of that. That was something I learned kind of a trial by fire, learned it by doing the wrong way and just realizing that was kind of just a feedback loop of like, Oh, this is not, this doesn't go well. Um, and so that was really, that was, that was one I would say, even though there's a ton more, so we can do a whole five minute father podcast week on things we failed at. Yes. But that, that's, that, that's one thing I would say guys. And so, yeah, I think, and, and I think let's just end on what you said, Jeremy, I think, um, cause I think it's so true. And even what I just said with my example of like, you, you, you learn almost more, you learn better through failure than success. <clears throat> you learn through like, ah, that, that hurt. I never want to do that again. Or that was poor yeah. way of doing it. I don't want to do that again. Or that really, put us a year off track. I don't want to do that again. And so um, dads, don't be afraid to really study your failures rather than run from them. Don't be afraid to really learn from them. Don't be afraid to ask other people to come in and point them out gentle, gently and in love. Um, and that's what I would say is huge. But any last things you would say there, Jeremy? Yeah, that's good. Hey guys, welcome back to the 5 Minute Fatherhood. Jeremy and Jeff here, and we are uh, talking today about uh, the problem that so many people face when they hear the word multi-generational, they think about their upstream family and they're like, wait a minute, does that, like, there was a lot of dysfunction in my family growing up. Do I really want to build a multi-generational family yeah. if, that, if that means actually involving and bringing all that dysfunction into my family that you know is start, sort of just starting and and I really want to start fresh. And so this is a question we get all the time because so many people do uh, they are trying to be the sort of the first generation to establish uh, really a healthy uh, family culture. And so it becomes really challenging to figure out what do you do with with extended family? Um, and so the first thing just to keep in mind, you guys, is that when we talk about multi-generational family, um, there are certainly scenarios where upstream generations are at a level of dysfunction and abuse where it's healthy and, and important to to create uh, some strong, clear boundaries with with that generation. Um, by the way, that does not mean that you can't build a multi-generational family because you yeah. can focus your attention on the downstream generations. Our model for this entire uh, conversation around being a multi-generational fathers is Abraham, and he had a very dysfunctional upstream generation. Yeah. Uh, if you want to read about it, it's in the, the last, the, right at the end of Joshua, Joshua actually confronts Israel and says, guys, you don't want to be, we're sons of Abraham, not sons of Terah. That was Abraham's dad. He was an idol yeah. worshiper, and Abraham left uh, that dysfunction behind. And so sometimes we, we oftentimes ask people, are you a uh, an Isaac and Rebecca generation or an Abraham and Sarah generation. Isaac and Rebecca generations are really, you know, second, third, fourth. They're in a multi-generational stream, and they are really building on the foundation that was laid by generations in the past. And and if that's if you're an Isaac and Rebecca generation, you're constantly thinking about, well, how do we enfold uh, and how do we engage uh, the upstream generations? But if you're an Abraham and Sarah generation, really kind of, you know, God says, leave your father's house and establish a new a new family. Um, hey, that happens, and that that is part of 
building a multi-generational family. And you guys are just as much a part of this project of, of what it means to be a multi-generational family as an Isaac and Rebecca generation. And so, uh, and so there, that is something we want you to encourage you guys to understand that that's just, that is part of what a lot of people are dealing with. But I'd love to ask you, Jeff, you know, that's all sort of really high level, big picture, but the reality is, you know, um, grandparents come around and they want to spend time with their kids yeah. and we want to figure out ways to honor them and not resent them. And, but there was maybe some really tough stuff that happened. And so how, how do you talk or think about how to deal with that? Yeah. When I feel like when everyone approaches with these kind of questions, uh, what I try to tell them and encourage them with is everyone has a different story, but you also, no matter where your family falls, you know, aunts, uncles, grandparents, some other people from out of, you know, that live States away that you barely know in your family, um, don't run from your story. That that has to be core. Don't run from your story. I think nine times mm. out of ten, people sometimes use the "oh, we're Christians and we're starting a new legacy" uh, sometimes as an excuse to run from their story. Now that's different than maybe just saying you need to live in health, saying you need to do maybe sever some ties for relational health. But I feel like that's such a more like red panic button that gets that doesn't need to usually be used in only one out of 10 times does that need to be used the severing um yeah a lot of times everyone's right in the middle like we're all sinful we're all messed up and some of us are you know we have a vision that we do believe god has put us on and so we want to carve that path and chase that path but i also think like like be, like, be honest with your kids is another way to say like don't run from your yeah. story and that's something i think it's important to all of us and and so we actually you know i love asking you know my side of the family and Alyssa's side of the family like what like like go farther back, tell us stories, tell us where the hard parts were, tell us where, you know, maybe there was some dysfunction. Cause I actually want to know that. And we want to know that. And, uh, we want to, you know, I think it is helpful to then know what to look out for. And there's a lot of different angles, a lot of different realms here, but I would say don't run from your story is a huge part. And then maybe Jeremy, I love what you put in the notes, a couple those couple bullets. If you want to say, I think that first one is kind of one that I hit on is yeah, be honest with your kids, not try to hide the story, pretend the story yeah. didn't happen. Um, but then yeah, find ways to honor and resolve resentment. I love those. What would you say about those? Yeah, so if you know if, if you can find even small ways to honor uh, the upstream generations, I mean, I, I, like like we we're talking about in uh, we're going to talk a lot about when there is a really there's a lot of opportunity. Like Jeff said, a lot, most of us live in this middle space, which is uh, there was dysfunction, but but it wasn't to the level that we want to. Uh, create hard boundaries between yeah. our generation and a previous generation. Um, that's a very difficult thing to do. It should be something that you should only do in extreme circumstances, but there are circumstances that warrant it, and we want to be sensitive to those of you guys who are in those circumstances. Um, and if you and we're really speaking directly just to those those families, and I do think it's a fairly small percentage, but but we know you're there, and we know yeah. this is really hard. Um, and so resolving that resentment is really critical. I like what Jeff is saying. Tell the full story to your kids as they're getting older. Obviously, you want to do it at an age-appropriate time, uh, but it's important that they understand, hey, what like this isn't what we want for our relationship going forward. That kind of hard boundary that you see between our family and, and, a, and a different uh, upstream um, uh, generation of our family. We, we really want to be a family team from this point forward. And so um, so let me be honest with you about what happened back there. Mm -hmm. And uh, and part of what we're doing is, is in this generational uh, attempt at, at growth and health is we're trying to restore our family line. And uh, and so part of what that looks like is is for us to start a new 
uh, sort of chapter in the family story. And I like what you're saying, Jeff, we don't erase the previous chapters. That's a really boring story, right? The story you wanna see is a story where we did go through as a family uh, really, really tough times. Um, but that that's the legacy that you guys are trying to build by saying we want a new chapter and you wanna involve your kids and help them see kind of where they fit in the family line and in the in the restoration um, um, uh, that is happening in your family line. And so talking about that, casting that vision, bringing your kids into that. And then if God were to open doors to those upstream generations as you're growing, get more mature, uh, get get healthier, get more healing, um, then that, that obviously is even a better uh, story to see that restoration really happened there. And we always want to encourage any movement that direction. But, but we understand those hard lines, and this is maybe one way to think about uh, how to how to continue to really um, be motivated in the progress of your multi-generational family when you're trying to absorb or be the first generation coming out of a, of a really, really tough uh, and, and potentially destructive um, chapter in, in the family story. What's up, guys? Jeff and Jeremy here. Welcome back to 5-Minute Fatherhood. Today is what we like to call a listicle day, meaning we like to go through just three, four, or five quick things, either tips or fun things, etc. And today is four purchases that me and Jeremy collectively, or all of us as a family, have made this year that have blessed our family culture. I'll go first. The first one that we absolutely love is actually intentionally too to try to kind of bring back nostalgia to our family is a record player. Now for a few reasons. One, we love listening to music. We kind of love trying to create a culture of music and dance and fun, but there's something about a record player, which mm-hmm. I don't know, Jeremy, and maybe it's not that nostalgic to you because it was actually like normal when you, you know, they get, or to me, it's like very much, I guess, going backwards, but in a really fun, unique way um, to just listen to things. And, and there's something about tactile music yeah. and and more like where you have to get out the record and put it on the table that's way different than asking like Alexa to play the song right like I feel like when mm-hmm. we want to have a dance party we ask Alexa but when we want to kind of have just a fun experience with usually a story of like oh let me tell you about this record or why we love this or this reminds mm-hmm. me of we put on the record there's something about it where our kids yeah. love it well the sound of music record is their favorite one so it's hilarious oh, to see nice. a four-year-old talk about like Julie Andrews <laughs> and all that stuff um, but the kids love it so that's one I would say what about you that's awesome. I want to play off of that one because uh, when I was a kid, I, my dad, when he would put me to bed every night, he would put at least three records on uh, and then just sort of That's pop awesome. them and they would play throughout the night. Now, we don't have record players in our kids' room, so I'm going to, my, so number two on the list is a SanDisk Sport 8 gigabyte MP3 player with LCD screen. What is this thing? This thing is awesome. <laughs> so, this is like a $30 MP3 player that you can buy your kids a subscription to Audible, and then you can, because uh, I we I tried to figure this out forever, and one of my friends finally rescued me. I was like, I want my kids to be listening to audiobooks, really amazing stories at night, the way I did with my record player, um, but I didn't want to buy them an iPhone when they were five. You know, I didn't, I couldn't quite figure this out. I, I bought one of my kids, one of those Amazon, what are those called, those, uh, uh, was it a fire? Some some kind oh, of yeah, tablet. Oh yeah, the tablets. Was, yep. Yeah, it was just too expensive. It had like 
advertisements that were kind of going off all the time. So finally, if we figured out the SanDisk Sport 8GB MP3 player, what you can do with this thing is for $30, you can get an Audible account. You have to activate it with a Windows machine, and that's the worst part. But after that, all you have to do is drag and drop <laughs> exactly. whatever audio files you want from your Audible account, and all they have is a device that all it can do is play those 10 or 20 audiobooks that are that are on there at that time. So we got like the Narnia books on there for our kids. We got all their favorite books, the the what the Magic Treehouse books, all these things. So my daughter Elise is obsessed with this thing. She loves to listen to this at night. And so if you guys want uh, to really have a place where your kids can just be immersed in story. This I love the, the experience of listening to books. Um, and I wanted my kids to have that experience. I actually had that through these records and cassettes and stuff when I was growing up, but it's a lot easier today. But this uh, little device really helped us out. What else do you got? That's, ge- that's genius too, because I feel like it's... Um it's it, it's parents have to work so hard to not get their kids uber connected, not right. only because you don't want them to socially, but then also you got you just you can't filter every last little thing that's going to get to them when it's an Internet right. connected device. And so, yeah, like old school, a.k.a. 90s. I remember when the yeah. MP3 players were like <laughs> all the rage. Just get yes. them one of those audio files. That's genius. That's a great, that's a genius one. So the next one for me and, and Jeremy and April, I've seen this one in action is our kid is when we bought our kids scooters. Now we specifically, so awesome. we have this weird kind of floor plan, which Jeremy knows goes in a big circle. And I'm not saying you have to do this. And moms will probably freak out if we tell you this, but we essentially bought scooters that are kind of like Mark free, meaning like the wheels are kind of rubber and they can kind of be on floors in a nice soft way. They're not like intense. And so our kids can ride, we let them ride them inside. And because our floor plan is a circle, it's literally treated like a track. We have races, the kids think it's a blast. I made sure to get me an adult scooter. I don't ride that one inside. But basically, <laughs> we got a bunch of wheel toys, whether that's bikes, scooters. I got myself a skateboard. We live on a cul-de-sac. And that has blessed our family culture like crazy because it's almost like a habit now where every night we say, let's go out in the street. Let's go out in the cul-de-sac. Let's ride around. They ride them in the house in the day. Man, it's just way, way, way better. And it's they care about saying like, oh, let's do that rather than let's watch a movie or let's do that. It's perfect. We love it. Yeah, those are awesome. Those little plastic scooters he's talking about. As soon as we walked in to their house, Kinsley and Cannon both grabbed their scooters and they wanted to show and us they how they're zip up. They, they're like super coordinated and they're and they go pretty fast out. too. Where you got to watch out. You like they're coming. Yeah. They come around hot. Yeah, you got to watch <laughs> they out. They do. I know, but Cannon's like he's he's amazing at that. Little <laughs> I know. Thing. It's so fun to watch him. Um, so yeah, I love that. Any kind of like way to get some energy out while you're inside the mm-hmm. house. Uh, okay, the the last one, the purchase that this really this. I've never seen this in another house, I don't think. Um, we probably have at least 30 uh, book holder mini display easels, okay? So these are like things you'll 30? see in light. At least 30, yes. That's so, incredible. <laughs> these are little tiny wire display easels that you might see in a library or you might see uh, at a bookstore. So one of the things that I read once was that, <clears throat> uh, this is in Freakonomics where they said that the most literate kids... Uh, happened to be not the ones who read the most or were read to the most, but the ones who saw the most books in their house growing up. And they, it was a Freakonomic thing. They couldn't figure it out. There's a whole chapter about it. It's fascinating. <laughs> but I was like, but it really got me thinking. And that is, <clears throat> I really want my kids to like see books. I really want them to like be intrigued mm. by, huh, I wonder what's in there. So we we do spend a lot of money on books, but instead of just having them in bookshelves where they're all lined up and all you can see is the binding, we actually bought these little wire display easels. And like I said, we have at least 30 of them. And so 
anytime there's a really interesting book, I like I'll try to find one that that cover really pops and makes you go like, "Ooh, what world is inside of that book?" And then I wanted it to be sort of displayed. And I heard I haven't been in an Amazon store, but I've heard that the entire store, every single book is face out. Yeah, I don't know if that's true. Is that true? No, You've yeah, seen it those, is. Jeff? Yeah, I, it's I think there's something it's about genius. that. Like, yeah, like so. Why not? Why not do that to your house? But of course, a lot of times the problem is that books all fall over, and so we bought yeah. a whole bunch of these really super cheap. They're like a dollar or something uh, each, um, but you can buy a bunch of them, and then you can you can take you can go look at the thirty books you think are most intriguing to your kids, and just have them all facing out using this uh, silly little wire display easel. So those were really I love them. I love that they are in our house. I love that that our house is a place that you can just almost get immersed in books and the books are almost as enticing as the screens. And that's one of the things that's really helped us do that. Totally. All right, guys. So that's all we got for today. But what we would love to hear, hit us up on social media, whether it's family teams, five minute fatherhood, and let us know a couple purchases you guys have made or things that have totally exponentially blessed your family culture. What's up, guys? Jeff and Jeremy here back today for another episode of 5-Minute Fatherhood. I'm excited about this one. We're going to start with a quote today, and then we kind of want to talk about the problem that that quote addresses and brings up. And that is a quote from, we think, the John Green that a lot of us know and love and read on YouTube and with his novels. And the quote is, the nature of impending fatherhood is that you are doing something you are unqualified to do and then you become qualified while doing it. Now, Jeremy, I don't know about you, but that's literally almost like I, I, I'm struck with fear, anxiety, and laughing at the same time because yeah. it's so true. Like it's just we're, we're kind of thrown into this, but there's also a blessing in that. And I want to hear you read something and talk about that for a second. Yeah, so I, I think we all feel like when you have that baby, it feels unbelievably surreal that they let you out of the hospital without any training and you know when you think about this is the way god originally designed it he wanted us as dads to get training on the job and so i think it's fair to ask the question you know, like why is god taking this risk um for whose benefit is it really the child's benefit i mean they're not exactly the mm -hmm. one who is benefiting from the fact that we have almost no experience um and so i've, I've been thinking about this for a long time and been pondering and trying to figure this out in my own heart and, and, and just understanding God's sort of design. Uh, and so I wrote something I want to read to you guys and just uh, ponder a little bit with Jeff. The Bible never actually says fathers are a blessing, though of course they are. Uh, it says children are a blessing. This is from Psalm 127, because they are 100% of the time. What this means, dads, is today is a great day for you to thank God for making you a father. Having a group of humans completely dependent on your leadership, protection, and provision is always a blessing first to you. Our culture gets this backwards. We think fathers are the ones making the sacrifice. Really? Think about it. None of us were ready for this responsibility when it came. Most of us were totally self-focused boys when someone put that first baby into our arms. We practiced learning to become real men on our children through fatherhood. What a risk! God takes in trusting children into our care. He could have found a safer way for children to be raised, but he loved us so much. He made us fathers. And I'm so blessed that my children made me a father. God only knows the self-destructive, self-focused, confused, and foolish boy I'd be without them. And so I think that this, this really encourages me to 
feel the love that God has for us as dads and also helps us avoid self-pity. Because I think that one of the things that uh, we often feel like is we are sacrificing so much for our children, and I totally get why we think that. But if you look at it from God's perspective, which really is the only perspective that's truly objective, it's the one that really brings us into alignment with with really truth. Uh, from God's perspective, he's really trying to to raise us. He wants to raise us from boys into men. He wants to prepare us to become sons of the kingdom. And so what better way than all of the ways that you're refined by having to really care for children and raise a family team? I think that's a lot closer to the reason why we are handed children without training in advance. God wants to raise us up, and this is the method that he he he's the one who decided to do it. So yeah, what how does what does that uh, stir up for you, Jeff? Oh, I lo- I love that. I think it's it's so true. I mean, for some reason, the two the the two first words that popped into my head that I want to talk to dads today in the five minutes we have is don't run. And what I mean by that is, yeah. I think a lot of times we f- our natural inclination is when the burden becomes bigger, the responsibility becomes bigger, the vocation becomes bigger. The mission becomes bigger. Everything that happens when you become a father and as your kids and your family grow, the inclination is to run, to kind of say, to abdicate, to step away, to walk away. Now, a lot of us don't, if you're listening to this, you probably don't do that in your actual life. A lot of us, we do that in almost a heart level, a mental level, a checking out level. And so I think, yeah, like to me, this is the switch that was really helpful for me to flip that when things, now, of course, there's needs to be proper self-care, health on the soul, rhythms in your marriage. But when things are just hard, in general and not like burning out or maxing out, um, when they're just difficult and they're hard, I've actually like started to welcome that and realize, man, this, this is making me, this is the primary vehicle and tool that is making me more into the image of Jesus. And that's actually how it's supposed to be. That's not an accident. That's not a mystery. That's not something random or weird. And to me, I don't know. It just takes away a lot of resentment. I'm nicer to my kids, to my wife and more gentle and more compassionate because I'm stepping into kind of the cadence that God's already doing, and I'm just kind of paying attention. So yeah, I don't know if you have a closing thought on there or if that's what you would say too after what you uh, uh, read that. Uh, right on. Yeah, God's, his agenda is to shape us. Uh, it's not about our happiness. That's not his primary uh, goal. And so when we really fall in line with the design that he's created and embrace this role and see how it's transforming us, it really can help us uh, just have the, the, the courage and embrace all the challenges that fatherhood brings.